Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, we introduced because it's true constraint. And basically, because it's true constraint is that you don't believe things that you think aren't true. So if you believe it, you believe it must be true, or you would believe something else. Right? Um, so it's the idea that our convictions and beliefs are based on facts, that we have good reasons for believing the things that we believe. Um, it applies only to specific beliefs. So I, I can understand in the abstract that there are things that I believe that aren't true, I just can't identify them. So, you know, I believe, I believe that Nancy loves me. I believe that we are in Brentwood, Tennessee. Um, I believe that it rained a lot last night. And, you know, so I believe all of those things. Um, but there are things that I don't believe. It just doesn't happen to be those. Or there are things that I believe that aren't right. It just doesn't happen to believe those. It doesn't happen to be those things. Um, and it applies only to the beliefs that we currently hold because once we realize that we believe something wrong, then we go believe something else. And so it's not true anymore. And it doesn't apply to beliefs that other people hold because it's easy to see how other people are wrong. It's just not easy to see how we are wrong. All right? And that's called the bias blind spot. We draw conclusions about other people's biases based on what we see from them. And, but we draw conclusions about our own beliefs based on what we know inside. And so we, that's, that it, it inherently creates a bias toward our own beliefs because we know why we believe those things. We only know why it looks like other people believe the things that they believe. And that will, this will become important later in the class today. So there are, there are three things that we tend to do when other people hold beliefs that are different from ours. And the first one is that we assume that they're ignorant, that they just don't know any better. They don't have the same information that we do. They haven't studied this thing. They just if they knew better, they would understand. That's the ignorance assumption. If we figure out that, okay, well, these people do have the same information, then they must be idiots. <laughs> because it's right there. If they saw it, they seen it. Clearly, we were smart enough to believe it. So clearly, they are not. Okay? Eventually, you run into people that you go, well, these are smart people that don't really understand why they still disagree with me. Well, those people must be evil. Well, people who disagree with us, they have the same information, they're smart enough to understand it, they're not ignorant, they're not stupid, they must be evil. And this is an assumption that you see all the time in politics, you see it all the time in religion. It's like a good chunk of what religious structures are based on um, and it's really good if you're it, it's a really good thing to invoke if you're trying to get people to fight each other all right and from this is from Catherine Schultz book being wrong if we assume that people who are wrong are ignorant or idiotic or evil well small wonder we prefer not to confront the possibility of error in ourselves because 
If we realize we've made a mistake, we're going to feel ignorant, we're going to feel stupid, we're going to feel like we've been bad people. All right. Moving on to today's section. Somebody tell me my name. Anybody? Right. Okay. How do you know? I've known you a long time. Okay. <laughs> but how do you know? So he's always gone by that alias. Uh huh. All right. So I've always I've always gone by that I've alias. I've heard people say that. You've heard other people say it. Seen it in print in the directory. Seen it in print. Okay. Good. Seen it in the newspaper. Seen it in the newspaper. You acknowledge it when it's said. I acknowledge it when it's said. Okay. Good. Basically, if you hear something enough, then you tend to believe it. That's the basis of propaganda. Well, it's the basis of more than propaganda. Well, I mean, but it's, it, it's, it's, called, it's called inductive reasoning, and it's the basis of how we learn. It, it is, there, are, there are basically two, as I understand it, there are two just bottom line, fundamental ways that we learn. One is by mimicking. Um, it's, it's what's called mimetic desire. Um, where you you see somebody doing something that you like or that you want or that you want to be able to do, and you repeat that behavior. For example, the first the first game that I remember playing with any of our kids when they were baby babies was stick your tongue out. I mean, within days you go, they look at you and they go, they're they were already mimicking my behavior. That was the way that they were learning. And then inductive reasoning is making decisions based on the limited amount of information available to you when it's time to make that decision. And so we have a granddaughter now. She's two years old. And we have two dogs. She has figured out that both of them are dogs or doggies or puppies. So she will call them dogs, she will call them puppies. But she hasn't quite figured out that one of them is Smokey and one of them is Cool Ranch. And so sometimes she will call Cool Ranch, she's figured out that Smokey is Smokey, but she hasn't figured out that Cool Ranch is not also Smokey. So Smokey could get, so, so to, in, in her mind, Smokey still might be a word that you use the same way she uses dogs and doggies and puppies. Sometimes she calls Cool Ranch Cool Ranch, sometimes she calls Cool Ranch Smokey. So she's, she's working through the inductive reasoning of how everybody else talks to the dogs. Right? So eventually she's going to figure out Cool Ranch is Cool Ranch and Cool Ranch is also a dog. Smokey is Smokey, Smokey is not Cool Ranch, Smokey is also a dog. And once she figures that out, that will help her when she sees other dogs realize that they probably have names. And, and that's just the way we learn. And probably someday this is going to have an impact on how she feels about Doritos. <laughs> um, because we tie things together when we see those patterns. Um, it may be a little bit more nuanced and a little bit less obvious, but like my granddaughter, we're all constantly learning and adjusting our behavior based on inductive reasoning. It's a constant process of testing and seeing what works, what's right, and what doesn't. So you know, eventually, you hear people call me Brian enough, you're going to go, okay, his name is Brian. But 
never seen my birth certificate. If you had seen my birth certificate, still wouldn't be necessarily sure it wasn't my birth certificate. It was my birth certificate. Could be a Ford. And so there, there are all, if you're going to try to figure out everything and lock it all down, it's going to take you a really long time. So inductive reasoning is a great way to learn a lot about the world very quickly, but it also guarantees that, like my granddaughter who calls Cool Ranch Smokey, that we're going to make mistakes. It's built into the system. Where, where does I read it on Facebook? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's, that's part of how we make our decisions yeah. because that's, that's some of the limited information that we have, whether it's good or bad. Um, and Catherine Schultz also says, um, she says, we tend to think of mistakes as the consequences of cognitive sloppiness, of taking shortcuts, of jumping to conclusions. And in fact, we do take those shortcuts. We do jump to those conclusions. But thinking of these tendencies as problems to be solved suggests that there are actually solutions to that problem when, in the largest sense, there aren't. It's just the way that we learn and we're going to make those mistakes because most, you know, it's like, all right, enough people call you Brian, you're Brian, but who was the catch me if you can guy? Remember that movie? It's like everybody put together their, the information that they had about this guy and let him fly planes and let him be a doctor, and he wasn't any of those things. So sometimes it doesn't work, and there are big mistakes, there are, big, there are mistakes big and small to be made for that. But it's a great way to learn something about the world very quickly. So Schultz also says our mistakes are part and parcel of our brilliance because computers can't do that. If you show, if you show a computer, um, if you ask a computer to complete the sentence, giraffes have very long blanks. We all go next. Everybody here next instantly. Computer, computer's got to figure out all the possibilities that could be in that blank before coming to a conclusion. So I mean, computers just don't have good ways to answer that without our putting in some kind of inductive reasoning algorithm to figuring that out. So our mistakes are part and parcel of our brilliance. They are not the regrettable consequence of a separate and deplorable process. The paradox is that believing something on the basis of messy, sparse, limited information really is how we err. But it is also how we think. And what makes us right also makes us wrong. So, how's my, how does my granddaughter eventually figure out that one dog is smoky, one dog is Cool Ranch, but both of them are dogs? How does she, how does she finally figure that out? Anybody? Repetition. Oh, say what? Repetition. Repetition, right. Repetition. It's called cumulative exposure. Eventually, enough people say, this one's Cool Ranch, this one's Smoky. She's going to figure it out. So cumulative, cumulative exposure is the total amount. Well, this is, this is the, the medical definition. Um, from the National Cancer Institute Dictionary. It's the total amount of a substance or radiation that a person is exposed to over time. Cumulative exposure to a harmful subject or radi a harmful substance or radiation 
may increase the risk of certain diseases or conditions. This is true in a medical sense. It's also true in a spiritual sense. So we make decisions every day based on cumulative exposure from how far we need to stay back from the car in front of us to how many chairs to set up for class. Because we're, about, we're four classes in, I got a pretty good idea of how many people are going to be here. We got 55 chairs in here. Pretty sure we're not going to need more of that because we've done this for four weeks. Cumulative exposure is also the reason behind comments like Christians spend more time watching cable news than they do reading the Bible. They should spend more time reading the Bible than they spend watching cable news. And that's, they're, they're going for something good there because you really, you, you want to be exposed to the good things. You want to minimize the bad things that you're letting in. That to me always, the, the, the thing like that that I really hate is that um, when, when people talk about uh, you get more excited at a football game than you do a worship service. Again, I kind of see what they're going for, but it's, it's really kind of two different things that you're talking about there. Uh, so I, I, I kind of struggle with those, but I like the basic idea of it. Um, so not, I've gotten a little bit lost here. I want to make sure that I'm <laughs> where, where I want to be because I, I tossed something out figuring that I'd run out of time. Um, there are a couple of problems, there are a couple of biases that are built in to inductive reasoning. Uh, one of them is leaping to conclusions because eventually you have to make a decision, make a conclusion on something. We all do it. We do it constantly. Uh, we even have to do it. And most of the time it serves us well. Uh, stereotypes exist because they are often correct or at least correct often enough that we keep doing them. We create those stereotypes based on small amounts of evidence. It's, it's just what we do. It's how we learn. It's, it's going to happen for good and bad no matter what we do. Unfortunately, we don't seem to be able to change the stereotypes by introducing the same amount of contrary evidence. So if we, if we, have, if we have bad information to make our initial decision about something, if, if, if I make, if I make a, a bad decision based on three pieces of information, three more pieces of information are not going to take me back to neutral. Four pieces of information are probably not going to be enough to reform my stereotype. Um, and the big reason for that is what we call confirmation bias. And confirmate, we tend to believe the evidence that supports what we already believe. And that makes sense because what we believe, we've already decided we believe it because it's true. So every piece of information that agrees with something that's true clearly must be more true. And so the information that we get that aligns with what we already believe, we give that more weight. Um, we interpret new information based on what we've already learned. Another problem with confirmation bias is that we tend to refuse to believe 
things that oppose what we already believe. Um, that's, um, that brings about what they call the, the no true Scotsman fallacy, which is no Scotsman puts sugar on his porridge. Well, my Uncle Angus is a Scotsman, and he puts sugar on his porridge. But, well, no, true Scotsman <coughs> puts sugar on his porridge. We see this all the time. About Facebook comments, we see this all the time in Facebook comments. Yeah, no Christian believes in abortion. Well, I know, you know I'm a Christian, and I believe in abortion. And it immediately goes, well, no true Christian believes in abortion. Same thing, yeah. I saw somebody just a couple weeks ago. No such thing as a gay Christian. Well, I'm a Christian. You know, somebody posted, well, I'm a Christian. Well, you're not a true Christian if, if you're gay. And so what to, to fulfill the no true Scotsman fallacy, it's not publicly retreating from the initial thing that you said that has been demonstrated to be false. It's offering a modified assertion, well, no true Scotsman, that definitionally excludes a targeted, unwanted counterexample, um, and then uses rhetoric to hide that modification. So you know, it, 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 becomes, it becomes an argument once you've shown a counterexample that disproves the initial state, statement. Are, are we a part of the tradition that used that to inform itself? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that, that's kind of the definition of the Church of Christ. Ooh, it, it's, it is what, it took it a generation or two to kind of ossify into that. I, I, I don't know that it would be correct to categorize that as why it went that direction. I think there were a lot of other things in play, but, but it, certainly, it certainly became that after a while when people quit doing the work of the, the, the renewing the original reason for that. Yes. Um, and so it's just, it's, it's not looking, and, and the, other, the other thing uh, for confirmation bias, and this is probably the most prevalent, is just not thinking to look for things that oppose what you believe. Um, and you know, one of this you'll you'll see this in racial discussions a lot these days. Um, I mean, cer certainly I've done this where um, I've said something, and it, it it applied perfectly to my circumstances, but would not have applied to somebody in different circumstances, and I just didn't even think about how it might have looked from their perspective or what it might have meant in that part of the community, because I knew that it applied to me and it worked for me, and so I laid it on everybody. And so we just, we don't look for the things. Once it becomes accepted wisdom, either within a community or individually, we just don't think to look for it, because we got something that works well enough. Um, You're actually describing police work. Yeah, I mean, they, they come upon a homicide. The cops decide who did it, and then they go looking for evidence to convict that particular person. Right. Yeah. I mean, how many episodes of Law and Order have we seen where? <laughs> yeah. And, and ninety-five percent of the time, they're right. Right. Exactly. And five percent of the time, 
guy? Yeah. But you you know you, you you come up with you come up with your ideology, and everybody's got to have that. Um, I, I ran across a, across a great quote from Alan Greenspan, the former chair of the Federal Reserve. He said, "An ideology is a conceptual framework, the way people deal with reality. Everyone has one. You have to to exist. You need an ideology. So you're gonna come up with something." Whatever, whatever you think you believe, whatever, however you think you're making your decision, whatever you think you are ignoring, some, at some level, you're going to come up with an ideology. You just, you have to. And whatever ideology we have is going to have confirmation biases built into it. So here's what I propose. To consciously try to form our confirmation biases around Jesus-like concepts and behaviors and ways of looking at the world. Um, if you've been to first service already, uh, especially the last half of the sermon, um, he never said the words, but that was all about forming a confirmation bias around a concept of gratitude. I mean, he talks about writing down a gratitude journal. That's creating a confirmation bias. And so there are good confirmation biases, there are bad confirmation biases. Yes? Let's make it into something different, but uh, I think it, it has a bearing on our religious side. And that is, if we encounter someone that is holding to an obviously false concept, okay. how do you go about enlightening them or adjusting their bias. Okay. Actually, we are kind of going to get into that in just okay. a minute. Um, so, so here's what I mean by adjusting our confirmation biases. Philippians 4, 8, 9. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Paul says, Put that into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. This is, that's, that's the motto for adjusting your confirmation biases. So like, look for those things, not the opposite of that. Look for the right, focus on the right things, not the wrong things. Focus on the pure things, not the degraded things. Focus on admirable ideas, on being admirable and not the other, work to make your confirmation biases line up with, with Paul's here, with Jesus's. All right, so let's, I want to look for the last part of the class. I want to read Matthew 7 through the eyes of confirmation bias. And I got to find my notes right here because I got pages that I'm just losing. Um, all right. Matthew 7, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, yeah. And it begins, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. And people get locked into this first verse. This is one of those verses that even non-Christians know. And they like to throw back at us. We, we often turn it into a, 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 into a battle for definition, looking for ways to rationalize doing what we want to do 
without calling it judging. Um, and it's one of the, but it's but like I said, it's one of those verses that the outsiders know and use us to call us and use it to call us out and shut us down. It goes on. For with what judgment you judge, uh, well, I've got a better version up here. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so, it's saying create a system of inductive reasoning. Look for the information when it comes to people and their behavior that allows the most generous possible interpretation of them and their behavior. Now, why should you do that? Because as we've learned from inductive reasoning, you're going to get it wrong. And when you start passing judgment on people and telling them that, you're going to get it wrong. And the, But the way that you do that is what's going to come back on you. And, and I think we, we, we get caught up I have gotten caught up historically in trying to figure out what judging means. And I miss the rest of it because the rest of it is really what's pointed back to us. Um, I, I'm having a Facebook discussion in a theology group on this passage right now, and there is a guy who is saying, this isn't about, it's, 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 it's about judging rightly and not passing inerrant or... Um, you know, or, or bad judgment on people. It's it's about finding the right way to look at them. And, and I was like, you know, that's that's a really handy way to get out of this because nobody has in the history of the world, literally ever, has passed judgment on somebody thinking that it was inerrant and wrong judgment. Never never has ever happened. Later, they may figure out that they have passed, you know, that their judgment was wrong, that they did make a mistake about it, but by then, the damage is already done. And so, if you do this, it's going to come back to you that way, because you will be wrong about it. And it will come right back on you, and you will have deserved it. You will deserve everything you got for passing that judgment. So why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now we're back to this is, this is the bias blind spot in Scripture. Because you can see that speck because it's right there. But you can't see your own biases even though they're so big they're stuck right through you because you got a plank. So that's all through your body if the plank is going in you. But the speck, the speck's right there on the outside. How can you say to your brother, eh, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So you're drawing conclusions about other people's biases or problems based on external experience. Uh, uh, yeah based on external appearances. Now, here's the verse that really throws me. So we're coming from this into, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. 
If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And that, it's, it's like right in the middle of the chapter, and it seems like, at first glance, he's saying a completely different thing. How have, how have you heard that passage used in church settings throughout your life? Fletcher, want to weigh in? Yeah, I have to think about that. <laughs> Excellent answer. But but any, anybody have that's, have you heard this used? That's some people. If you tell them truth, they just yeah. Okay. That's what I've heard. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. It's what that's what I've heard too. And I went looking to see what people were saying. And the um, the commentaries with the best SEO. That's pretty much how they approached it, that there, that there are people that will not hear the truth, that do not want to hear the gospel, and will get angry about it. There's a problem with this, though, as you're reading it, because that's a really big caveat to throw in the middle of this chapter. Because when you look at the first part of the chapter... And the last part of the chapter, it really is about, it really does seem to be about not, about mitigating the way you jump to conclusions, about mitigating your negative reasoning about other people, about ways to prevent the problems in the way you interpret information about other people. And so when, when you read this, especially if you pull this out, and almost every use of this that I've ever heard, they pull it out of the chapter. They don't, they don't do the reading around where they're talking about what's coming before and what's coming after. They, they may compare it to other scriptures, but they don't really put it within the framework of the chapter. Um, I mean, it almost seems to negate everything that's the first five verses here. Because how are you going to figure out if these people are dogs and pigs if you haven't judged them? Uh, to me, it fits beautifully. Okay. It's a sobering statement. All right. Uh, there are seven plus billion people on this planet. Mm -hmm. God didn't make even one of each. He made one of each. Right. So we got seven and a half billion different chips. God didn't go to a machine somewhere and compute, create chips and put the common chip in every brain that he created. So it's not that we've got just good people, bad people. That's a silly mm -hmm. assessment. What you've got is seven billion people. Right. And yes, you've got dogs and you've got gays, but that's just because that's the way it turns out. But you've got so much more. And so when we get into this subject of trying to I've got two very close people to me. One thinks that unvaccinated people are fools. The other one thinks vaccinated people are fools. Yeah. And there's no, I've I just kind of given up. <laughs> I'm a radical moderate. Okay. Um, and, but I have, I, I can live it, I've had to work through that. I've always kind of moved in that direction, but with the pandemic, I've kind of said, backed off and just said, you know what, but this is what we should expect. Okay. Because we've got all these people. Now we're back to the first part of the verse. Yep. 
And the first part of the verse is, so the way we solve this as Christians is by being Jesus in this context. Okay, you've, you've gotten back to where I'm going a different way. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> right, I'm not sure this answers your question. Okay. Like you wanted, or like this phrase. Yep. But I, I've decided that people don't usually respond very well when you tell them what you have to believe or why you're wrong. Right. Like the Jesus method usually was to ask a question. And so you, instead of uh, telling somebody why they're wrong, I think you get farther if you ask... Why do you believe that? What is your evidence? Yeah. Okay. You're going exactly where we're at, where we're going. I think the, the, it hinges on the question of what does judge mean. I, I, I think okay. that you have to put another scripture with this, and that's what it says. By you, their fruits, you will know. Them. Okay. That that, that is, verse is actually coming up. <laughs> it's coming up right after the verse that he mentioned without realizing it. He said he didn't do it, but he was a fruit inspector. Exactly. Yeah. So that this that is that all of this is literally coming up. And this and that's the reason. Because all of all of the last chapter, it's really easy to see how the last half of the chapter ties in with this. This one is not so much. But uh, yes. Well I can't so I can't deal with bullet four because I'm still hung up on we're disagreeing about what's this plank and what's the state of How so? Not, not you and I. Oh, okay. But people. Okay, all right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So here's here's what I see in this. Because I'm, I'm looking at chapter 7, and unlike chapter 5, which starts with the Sermon on the Mount, where he's he's got this list going of separate but interrelated things, all of this seems to be part of the same piece. And he's, he's, he's shifting into different elements of... Um, of how we mitigate our confirmation biases and the, and the impressions that we get of other people. But he's not really jumping all over the place like he is in chapter 5. So I'm looking for a way that this fits everything else. And here's what I, here's what I finally saw yesterday. If I go back to verse 1, I see two points. Don't judge, or it's going to happen to you. Right? I see the same structure in this. Don't give dogs sacred things. Don't throw pearls to pigs. Because if you do, they will ignore them and they will rip you a new one. And it's the, it's the same thing that I see here that I see here. And in this one, I think it's easy for us to see the third implied part of this verse. Don't judge, or you will be judged that way, implying that you will deserve it. And here, I see the same thing. If you're going to think of people as dogs and pigs, you have passed judgment on them. And if you have done that without recognizing the planks in your own body, and without recognizing the piggishness of your own life, People can see what you're doing. They can see the kind of people, you, the kind of person that you are if you are doing that. And they will rightfully rip you apart because you've done that. And so, but Fletcher talked about asking people being a better approach. What is the very next word in this chapter? Anybody got it up on their phones? 
What is the very next word? Ask. And you might learn something from it. Exactly. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. So, withhold judgment. Talk to people. Look for those kind of people. Go have a meal with them. Go visit them. Let them come. Invite them to your house. That's, that's normally asking God. That's is normally, it normally considered a change of subject? Is it? Yeah, well, it's normally yes. It is normally, and, and you know one of the reasons that it is considered a change of subject is because we pull the verse out before it and turn it into this whole completely different thing, and we've severed the connection between the first five verses and this verse. And so we look at it, is this about seeking spiritual knowledge? Is it about the path of righteousness? Absolutely it is. Because what is spiritual knowledge and the path of righteousness if lived out if it's not about finding community and learning about how people really are versus how you think they are? All the righteousness stuff is about learning to live in the world with other people, or it's pretty much useless. Like, be curious, not judgmental. You've seen, if you've seen the darts episode of Ted Lasso, chapter 7 is like Jesus had just watched episode 8 of Ted Lasso and riffed on it the next morning at, in his Sunday sermon. Alright, so which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give... And by the way, notice, we're back to... We're back to the, the only people that he's really calling evil here, the only people that really have the problems are the disciples and the followers. They're, they're the people in danger of judging. They're the people with the planks in their own eye. Or, yeah, the planks in their eye. So, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So, in everything, do unto others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the Law and the Prophets. I mean, Jesus seems to be saying, this is how you treat people you know. If your son comes and asks you for bread, even though you know he really needs a rock, that a rock would help him more, you give him the bread. I mean, it's like, what kind of jerk would you be if you didn't? You treat other people the way that you would treat the people that you know. But not everybody is going to do it that way. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will enter through it. It'll make you stand out. You know, people are going to notice if you're being all judgy, they're going to notice if you treat them this other way. However, watch out for false prophets. Because even people who parrot Jesus' words will bring their own confirmation biases to the word. And some of them will be bad biases. And it may take a while, but you will be able to tell who they are. You know, are they no true Christians, the way that you had the no true Scotsman? Well, see verses 1 through 6, to how to address that. But you might want to give these folks a wide berth. Because, and we're back to what we talked about in, I think, Matthew 25 a couple of weeks ago, where 
even though these people are saying that they're looking for Jesus, even though they may think they're looking for Jesus, they're not finding him. Architects and builders use inductive reasoning and have confirmation biases too. Um, I'm I'm sorry, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. These people said stuff, they did stuff that matched what they thought Jesus was telling them. But they brought the wrong confirmation biases and stuck with those rather than getting new ones. So architects and builders use inductive reasoning and have confirmation biases too. The good ones build houses that last. The ones that don't, the ones that ignore the evidence to the contrary. The ones who think they've got it all figured out and don't need to find out more about other people in the world around them, that's going to come down crashing eventually. And I think I skipped over the entire part of the fruit. Um, but that was, but you know, if we go back a little bit, we do see that. Because that, you know, by, by your fruit, you will recognize them. But, you know, there's, there's, there's a couple of different things, I think, going on here. One, yeah, you want to give these people, you want to give these people a pretty wide berth. Because you can see what they're about. You can, see, you can see how their life lives out. You can see if it matches up to what they say they believe. Um, and I think, to some degree, if I were going to put a caveat on the stuff in the first few verses, that seems to be generally more applied to people outside, beyond the followers. But I think even even then, even even with these people, um, you want to you want you want to know more than attack more. Now you may, because of who they are and the damage that they're doing in other places, you may want to disassociate. But that's really different from passing judgment on someone, which kind of requires that they know that you've done it. That's, that's, a more, that's a more public act. This may be a more private one. But it's, it's, very much, it's very much what you were talking about. And I think we are, yes, we are well into time for the class. If there's any questions or any thoughts? I keep waiting for the person to show up that says, it comes around, comes around. <laughs> yeah, which is... Yeah, which is pretty much that's that's the whole chapter is what goes around and comes around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because because people will see this. This thing in kind of what he was saying about people arguing over the speck and the plane. I, I feel like what I see a lot of is people arguing over what what's good for you, what's bad for you. You know, like some of the consequences or some of the outcomes of this person's you know political thing. Somebody says look, this is good fruit, when I look at it and say, that's not good, that's not good fruit. So like we're even, it's hard. Yeah, it is. It's not just, you know, even even deciding, you know, what what is good fruit and what's bad fruit, we're, we're arguing over it. Yeah, no. But, you know, just, we're seeing it two different right. ways. Right, and, and, and I would, in a situation like that, I would step back and maybe look at other things 
that are, are, are not necessarily directly associated with the specific topic at hand. Um, one, of, one of the best things that I use um, to determine stuff like that is I look for people that lead with repentance, not defensiveness. Because that, that, that applies to the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Um, it applies to, it, 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 it applies to either side of a political discussion. It applies to either side of a racial discussion. It, you know, it's like, you want, you want to look at fruit? Look at the people who are turning from what they know they've done wrong and look at the people that are doubling down because they're so sure they're right. And that's, it's a different fruit. That's fruit. And that's a fruit that's and I want to be—I want to be the guy that's leading with repentance, not the guy that's doubling down because I'm sure I'm right. Well, we're never going to fix America or any culture. Right. We're always going to have all the worst opinions. Yep. The the difference over the next 50 years for America is if 100 million plus or minus Christians in America, if tomorrow they were Jesus, yep. that that diffuses so much. Yeah. Uh, because we're not trying to make them right or make them wrong. We're trying to love them and, and bring them into a relationship with Jesus. And uh, go back to the Sermon on the Mount. And I would say even beyond bringing them into a relationship with Jesus, because doing that kind of takes us out of the equation, and it, it, it gives us an out. No, we are Jesus. That, exactly, exactly. It's, it's, not just, it's not just bringing them into relationship with Jesus. If we are Jesus, it's bringing us into relationship with them. And if we're doing, and if we're doing that from where we've been, then we're leading with repentance. So um, I've had discussions about, well, how do we tell what is the like, what is that, what is good fruit, what's yep. not good fruit. And I've come to a lens I've adopted is who is suffering at the hands of my fruit. Ooh. So who's becoming oppressed because of the fruit I'm producing? Yeah. Um, and that helps me. That's great. I love that. I love that. That's a good question. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs>